0: It really is a privilege to be sharing God's word with you this morning, and uh, I'm aware of a couple of things. I'm aware that there's lots of visitors here this morning. Perhaps you um, wouldn't call yourself a Christian, you wouldn't maybe you haven't been in the church for many many years, and that's not a problem. That's cool. Um, perhaps you are here this morning and uh, you've been part of this church for a long time, so I'm also trying to consider you as I speak today. And thirdly, Uh, I am aware that obviously we're getting ready for Christmas, so um, thank you to uh, the team that helped us put this together, Maria, and uh, uh, Eleanor, and Maria, and John, and Sandra. Thank you. Great job. And and Derek, of course. Forgot Derek. But thank you so much, guys, for, for your help in getting us sorted, so... These are the three things that are kind of in my mind as I speak this morning. And uh, for those of you that are visiting, we've been doing a series out of 1 Peter, which is a New Testament letter. And we're trying to think about how we can live well when things are difficult, when when, when things in the world are not easy. And that's what we've been trying to think about for the last six or eight weeks. So that's the context. And we've come to a point now in 1 Peter chapter 2. Where Peter talks about how we work with government and how we as Christians should interact with government. And uh, Michael Hunter, a couple of weeks ago, did a great message called The Gospel is for Everyone, where he kind of set a foundation for us. And then last week, I had a look as well at uh, Christian freedom what it means to be free as a Christian and to be a good citizen. And we tried to kind of look at that as well. And so today, I want to kind of land this and talk about how we can get on with people in the church that disagree with us politically, all right? How can we learn to love each other and work well with people in the church that don't agree, we don't agree with politically or that see the world differently than we do? And how many of you would have agreed that the last couple of years have been a challenge? Uh, so many people seeing so many different things differently, and yet we are called to get on in the body of Christ, yes. And so, if you're visiting this morning, my my um, message primarily is aimed at people in churches. Although I want to say it can equally apply. You can learn something in terms of how you interact with other people as well. I hope. So that's that's um, trying to set the foundation of what I want to speak about today. And it's particularly relevant because over the last four, five, six years. We've seen in the world increasing polarization all over the world in terms of issues around COVID, climate change, Black Lives Matter, LGBTQ rights, many other things. And you could probably add a whole um, list as well of things that uh, you've been thinking about. And these, these issues can be highly emotive, uh, quite complex, quite confusing, and um, when Generally, when you interact with people and you try and speak to them on those issues, emotions run really high, and it's very hard to kind of uh, speak in an in a, a honoring way. Well, not very hard, but it's, it's difficult when people's emotions get so high to really engage and speak honestly uh, and courageously with people. So I've been listening to some podcasts, reading as much as I can, Uh, reading some online essays and other material. And I've been trying to talk as to many people as I can over the last couple of years to try and understand myself better and how I view the the world and also to try and understand other people better that see things differently from me. Now, how many of you would agree that that um, is not always easy? All right. And so I've been trying to learn myself in the last couple of years uh, from as many people as I can. And uh, one of the books that I read. Recently, is by two people—a guy called Jonathan Lehman and a guy called Annie Nocelli—and I found this particularly helpful as I've been thinking about these things. So I hope this morning, as I share, you will be encouraged and will help you to keep some perspective in your life uh, as you try and navigate this minefield. All right, and it really is a minefield. Whatever you say, you're going to offend somebody. All right, so that's the given. Uh, we have to kind of learn to navigate wisely, and kindly, and courageously through this minefield that is uh, around us at the moment in terms of political things. So I want to I start with two, two basic um, scriptures. Uh, Matthew 17 says this, verse 25, uh, Jesus speaking. What do you think, Simon, from whom do kings of the earth take their taxes, from their sons or from others? And when he said from others, Jesus said to him, well, then the sons are free. Isn't that uh, an interesting thought? (laughs) Then the sons are three. Or or what about Romans? Romans chapter 15, verse 5 and 6 says this, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with the Lord Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the Lord Jesus and the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Jesus has welcomed you for the glory of God. Those are really challenging thoughts, aren't they? Um, So navigating through political issues and uh, whether it's about paying taxes, how much tax should you pay, how much tax shouldn't you pay? Or, or welcoming people from different cultural backgrounds, different political backgrounds into the church is a great, great challenge. And so think, I want you to think about the last couple of years for yourself in your own life. And maybe you can remember times when you found it particularly challenging that when you spoke to particular friends or colleagues at work, invariably the conversation defaults to some political issue or something around immigration or social distancing or mask wearing or issues around personal freedom about whether I should have a vaccination or not. And maybe you can, at those times, maybe you felt slightly irritated or you felt slightly frustrated or even condescending towards the other person because you don't quite see the world as they do and, and they don't quite see the world as you do. And in those times, it can be really helpful to try and keep calm and keep your head so we can navigate through these things together. So I want to start with this this morning at this place, is to try and think a little bit around why we get irritated and frustrated towards other people that see the world differently than we do. Why do we get irritated, particularly around political issues? Uh, and I'm not just talking about surface things now, I'm talking about deeply held differences that somehow, sometimes affect how we feel towards somebody else in the church. And we start thinking things like this, how can they say they are Christian if they believe that? <laughs> and normally it's because we believe something else, right? <laughs> and I've spoken in particular with some American friends, and it's really interesting that right now things are... So polarized in, in the States, I've spoken to my friends that lead churches there, and it's really, really hard for them, that uh, people are even saying, well, you can't be a Christian if, you've, if you vote for that party. Now, you can vote for this party, but you can't, if you're a Christian, you can't vote for that party. It's so polarized. It's so, it's, it's so, people are so angry towards others that think differently from them. So why should this be? Well, I want to suggest three things that are problems. And then I want to try and suggest three issues that might be solutions for us. There are more issues, there are more solutions, but I only have time to speak about three, right? So three problems, three solutions. Hopefully you'll be encouraged, right? Here's the first thing. Why do we get irritated? Because we all deeply care about justice. And particularly if you are saved this morning, uh, If you put your faith in Jesus, what happens when you put your faith in Jesus is that you recognize that Jesus has done something for you that you couldn't do for yourself, that actually your sin deserved punishment, and you couldn't save yourself, and so Jesus has come and saved you, and He's given mercy and grace to your life and transformed your life, and you are completely different from who you were, and you didn't deserve it. And that changes everything because that changes the way that you see the world and you see politics and you see everything. And then you begin to realize the same mercy that I've received for my life, I want other people to enjoy that. I want other people to be free. I want other people to have a whole sense of liberty and grace in their lives. And that affects justice issues. And so we, you, Christians care deeply about justice in the world. And particularly, what the Bible teaches about justice. And so, it makes sense that when you ask questions, or you you might even become skeptical, skeptical, when you see someone else in the church adopting a very different view from what yours is, and you feel a little bit like, it's unjust. That's not fair. How can you think that? And so, remember last week, I tried to say from Romans chapter 13, that God gave government into the world, as a platform for law and justice for all of us, that society would function well. That's the basic idea of Romans 13. And if you look at other scriptures, and I just want to do this quickly, Genesis 9 verse 5 says, there will be a reckoning before God if we kill anyone. All right? So, in Genesis, Genesis 5, uh, Genesis 9, it speaks about murder. and says, actually, if you kill another human being, there's going to be a, a, there are, there are re- repercussions for that. Secondly, um, Uh, 2 Samuel 8 verse 15 talks about David as the king of Israel, and it says he administered justice and equality for all of his people. So there's the sense that justice and equality must include everyone. Or 1 Kings 10 verse 9 again speaks about um, meeting justice and equity for all people. And Proverbs 29 speaks about that a king, a good king, is going to rule in a just way that elevates all of the people of the land and so whenever on any of us speak about Uh, with our friends or family or colleagues or fellow students or wherever you are in your life, whenever you speak about the elections, whenever you speak about abortion, whenever you speak about immigration uh, issues, when people are coming across the channel, when you speak about dealing with poverty in the world, when you speak about same-sex marriage, when you speak about racial equality, when you speak about criminal justice reform, any of these issues essentially are conversations about how you see justice and what is fair, and what is right, and how God wants the world to be. And that's why we get frustrated when people don't see the world like we do. It's about justice. And uh, aligned to that, I want to speak a little bit about anger, because often when you, uh, I want to say this, if if you do hear about a child being abused, or people being mistreated because of their skin color, or their, their, their background. You should be angry. Yes? Of course you should be angry. Why? Because it's a justice issue and God gives us emotions to show us something is wrong so that we can oppose it. So you should feel a little bit angry when you hear about these things that are not uh, right in the world. Now, recently, um, uh, I watched with my family. We rewatched the t- 2014 film called The Imitation Game. Anyone see The Imitation Game? It's a story about an amazing man called Alan Turing, who was a mathematician. He was one of the first people to think about AI, artificial intelligence, and he worked closely with the, uh, the, gu- the um, government in World War II at Bletchley Park, just up the road. And he made amazing contributions in terms of maths and computer science and AIs, as I've said. And he invented this machine called the Enigma sh- machine, which enabled the Allies to break the German code that was coming across. And it completely transformed the war effort on behalf of the British and the Allies. And after the war, at the end of the war, he was in, in, uh, received an OBE for his work in uh, breaking the code. But in his personal life, he had incredible, incredible struggles. He was a gay man in a time where homosexuality was illegal in this country. And in 1952, he was convicted by a court of gross indecency, and he was sentenced to a probation that includes chemical castration. That was the punishment, chemical castration, and eventually he committed suicide. It was only in 2009 that uh, the British government, at that that time Gordon Brown, got up and made a public apology on behalf of the government for how he was treated. And then four years later, Queen Elizabeth granted a full pardon, a royal pardon for Alan Turing. When I watched that movie, I, I I found myself feeling a number of emotions. First of all, incredible sadness that any human being would be treated like that. Secondly, that it took so long for our society to recognize that that needed to be put right. But thirdly, really, really pleased that in the last 60 years, people have made progress to understand that every single person, regardless of who they are, needs to be respected and given law and justice. And all of these things were going through my mind as as I was watching that movie. And so, of course, when we see inequality, when we see injustice in the world, we should be angered and we should want to put it right. Especially as Christians, we should want to do that. Why? Because we have received mercy from an incredibly kind and gracious God who lavished mercy on our lives when we should have been punished ourselves. And He wiped it away and He said, I no longer see that on your life. All I see is the precious blood of my Son. You are free. From your past. You are free. I'm giving you a whole new future, and the grace of God is available to you every moment of every day. That's why we should care so much. So let me get back to my point of why we feel irritated with each other and frustrated when we disagree politically. When someone disagrees with you politically, instinctively, you feel, might feel, they are choosing what is unjust. They are choosing what is not right, and that makes you angry. And it can be gets uh, elevated significantly so that sometimes we even begin to question whether people are saved if they believe certain things. And uh, I don't know if you remember, for those of you that have been in the church for a while, a couple of years ago we did a, a study of James, a wonderful letter of the book of, of James. And James reminds us, he says, actually, good deeds show that something has happened on the inside of you. And he says it like this in. in um, James chapter 2, verse 18. I will show you my faith by my work. In other words, God has transformed me on the inside, and because God has transformed me on the inside, there are some things that I choose to do that are speak out about what God has done on the inside of me and changed me, all right? Which means that if there's no good deeds, sometimes it points to an evidence of a lack of faith. Yeah? So Jesus said it a different way. He said exactly the same thing. He said you would recognize good trees by their fruit. There's something that, I mean, Jesus said, you, you can see obviously what's going on the inside of someone by how they live and what is happening on the outside and the kind of decisions that are, they are making. And so, are you with me my logic so far? Are you with me? Because what I'm trying to say is in the same way as good deeds are evidence of our faith, a concern for justice and seeing things that, being fair in the world is also evidence of your faith points in the same way to our faith. So in summary then, politics involves justice, questions about justice. And when fellow people, Christians, disagree with us about political matters, you might question their commitment to justice, which in in some ways can then tempt you to question their faith. And I'm not saying it's right to do that. I'm simply saying it makes sense. I can understand how that can happen. So that's the first reason, right? We get irritated with each other because these are issues of justice, and justice is incredibly important to us. Secondly, we are all tend to be self-righteous, and self-righteous people are certain that their convictions are right. <laughs> so we can be tempted to look down on other people, be scornful of other people in the church whose politics disagree with us, Because every one of us tends to be naturally self-righteous and self-justifying. And particularly our political views can be motivated by self-righteousness and self-justification. Now, why do I say that? Well, because right from the beginning, in the biblical picture, Adam and Eve, and I'm not going to debate creation right now, but Adam and Eve, the first pictures of human beings in the In the Bible, they disobey God by eating fruit from a tree that they're told not to eat from. And the basic motivation for them is this. It's not fair that we're not allowed to eat from that tree. That's the basic most. They justify themselves. They say, no, no, I know better. I know better. It's not fair. And uh, Adam and Eve decide to eat from the tree. And ever since then, all of us have been self-justifying people. Uh, whether you think of, Helen mentioned the story of the Israelites this morning. Uh, Pharaoh decided to kill all of the, all of the, 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 baby, the, the, the young children in Israel because he, uh, he was scared that they were going to grow into a mighty nation. So he just did that for himself by saying, no, well, actually, I'm the ruler and this is good for me, so I'm going to do this. He was demonstrating self-rule. And so it's the same for all of us in all of our lives. And often other people might be indeed be right in their opinions about politics, but, but that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about the posture of our hearts. The, the default of our hearts is, is to think that our hearts are always right and we are always just in the decisions that we make, particularly uh, when we think about our political views. We think our, our views are always right. And particularly if you believe the Bible, you think, well, the Bible... My view of what the Bible teaches is right, and therefore everyone else is wrong. I want to just say, kindly as I can, that even between our theology and how we apply our our theology, there's a big gap that we have to learn to navigate. And so, you know, it starts when we're kids. I I remember my two boys, one smacks the other one in the nose, and that happened. And uh, when the blood, we cleared the blood, it was like, I didn't start it, he started it wasn't me. It wasn't my fault. It was his fault. And aren't we all a bit like that? We justify ourselves all the time. It's always someone else's fault. Never my fault. I didn't start it. Someone else did. We tend to be self-righteous and justify ourselves. And so this is the thing. When we, when we are saved because we put our trust in God, one of the things that Jesus says to us is you don't have to justify yourself. You don't have to, through your achievements or your political beliefs, you don't have to justify yourself before me anymore. I am your justification. I have made you right with God, and therefore you can just relax and live your life and walk by the Spirit. And when you, when you walk by the Spirit, when you start hearing God's voice in your life, it enables you to do this. It enables you to see the massive, great, big, huge chunk of wood in your eye. <laughs> Before you start to try and pick out the tiny little specks in someone else's eye. That's what the grace of God enables you to do. Enables you to see actually there are massive problems in my life. In fact, it's like a two by four that sticks right of my out of my eye that everyone else can see. Enables you to see the plank, Jesus says, the plank in my own eye, before I try and take out the speck in yours. That's what the grace of God enables us to do. And so, of course, we are um, called to fight for what is right, but not to justify ourselves to say, I was right about this, but for the sake of love, the sake of other people. You see, those that have put their faith in Jesus, we live in two worlds. And the the, the theologians call, call, they use this phrase, we live in the now, but not yet. What do they mean by that when they say that? You might have read that. It means, yes, I'm saved now. I can hear the voice of the Spirit in my life now. I can walk by the Spirit now. But I'm not yet perfected. I can still tend towards being selfish, self-righteous, blame other people for the promise in my life. So I live in the now and the not yet. The future, Jesus is still coming back to perfect me and to glorify me. And everyone else has put their trust in Him. But for now, I live in this tension of the now. And they're not yet. And God has a plan for the world, which I am called to cooperate with as a believer, as a Christian, to try and bring His kingdom now because we're going to look at this tonight. Johnny's going to have a look at this tonight. He is making all things new. Isn't that a beautiful thought? This world is not as good as it gets. Jesus is making all things new. And we get to cooperate with Him and help for this world to become a place that is full of justice and kindness and mercy. So I want to ask you this, are you absolutely convinced of your political opinions? Well, it may be that you are, and it may be that it is because you are walking by the Spirit, and you have rightly informed every one of your decisions out of love for your neighbor and for other people. That may be absolutely true. On the other hand, it might also be that you are convinced about your political opinions, because you are following what everyone else in history has followed, the self-justifying script of every political party, every tribe, every nation that has ever existed in history. <laughs> and both of those things can be true. And sometimes they are simultaneously true, and sometimes they, one is true, and uh, another time the other is true. And that's my point. It's, gr- it's great that we feel... Um, that we want to put the world right. But remember what James says about anger. I want to point to our study in James again. My dear friends, my brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen. (laughs) That would be cool. Quick to listen, slow to speak. Generally, I find it's the other way around. Quick to speak, slow to listen. Everyone offers their opinion before they've even... You know, the sentence, you haven't even finished your sentence, and they're answering already with a comeback. Slow to speak and slow to become angry. Why? Well, he tells us, he says, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God intends. Anger very seldom produces anything good when you get angry, and that's what... what, um, James is saying it, too often I've seen this, that people use anger as a weapon. They use anger as a weapon to destroy everything that doesn't fit their personal view of how the world should be or what is just in the world. And so anger, just obliterate people, just all over them. You know, I've tried to, I have tried to genuinely listen to other people and I've tried to listen to some podcasts recently and I said to Helen, I was listening to this one this week and i felt like someone had been sick all over me just vomited all this stuff ugly nothing nothing redeeming nothing pointing people to jesus nothing kind just insulting people and insulting this person and that person just like ah be careful what you ex- listen to because something happens on the inside When you allow that stuff to start affecting you, yeah? I'm not telling you what to listen to, but be careful how you listen. Why? Because we all just think that our personal view of the world and of a just universe is the right one. Third, third reason. All judgments of politics require wisdom. (laughs) see, I said already there's some space between our biblical convictions and our political judgments. And we have to learn to navigate that space wisely and with kindness. Uh, can I put it another way? Two Christians might agree on a biblical principle, but disagree on how you apply that principle or what strategies you use to get to the, uh, the place that you are um, aiming at. And generally, there's disagreements because we all lack wisdom. And I, I want to define wisdom like this. Wisdom Is the capacity to combine a fear of God. And when I say fear of God, I don't mean I'm afraid of God. I mean fear of God in the sense, Lord Jesus, I want to please you above all things. I want my life to count for you. And I don't want to do anything that displeases you. One of the lessons Helen and I have learned in leading this church is a fear of God. Because you are God's people. And we have this responsibility to help you in your lives to find God. That's an awesome thing, that you can hear the voice of God in your own life. And I don't want to do anything that gets in the way of the Holy Spirit in your life leading you into God's plan and destiny for your life. That's, that, that means that I should have a healthy fear of God in terms of what we speak and what we do in this church because we want people to find God's destiny for their lives. That's an awesome thing. So wisdom is having a fear of God And at the same time, recognizing that we live in this incredibly beautiful, created, and fallen world. And biblical wisdom helps us to live in that space with a motivation that is going to produce peace, justice, and the flourishing of every person in society. That's what I want to say biblical wisdom should be. And so we have to simultaneously look at God's words. And at the same time, try to understand our context, our circumstances, all the different people that God has brought into our lives, and recognize God's common grace to us, and that He's made that grace available to every single person. And so wisdom is, 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 is thinking like this, what time is it now? Should I be acting? Should I be patient? Is it a time to tear down? Is it a time to build? What time is it? That's what wisdom is always asking. And so I always think of that amazing story in the Old Testament. Do you remember Solomon, who's called the wisest king in the Old Testament? What happens? These two prostitutes are brought to him, and they're fighting over a baby. And they both claim that the baby is theirs. And he comes up with this kind of strategy, which sounds horrific, but in the end, it's like points points to who's the true mother. It's like wisdom from heaven for this moment. And he says, okay, bring me a sword. And I'm going to chop the baby in half and give half to you and half. And it sounds absolutely horrific. And the, person, the woman whose baby it is cries out immediately, no, do, don't, don't do that. Please give it to the other woman. Why? Because she loves the child. She doesn't want to see any harm come to the child. And then Solomon says, the child is yours. Demonstrates this incredible wisdom from heaven in that moment. And so now I want you to think of the current political issues that we face in the world. For example, I want to point to one. What about migrants and asylum seekers crossing the channel? We had this horrific thing uh, last month with 27 people drowned. It's been fascinating to me to see the reaction of different people uh, in the media, etc., etc. But suppose, for sake of my illustration this morning, there's two groups of Christians. One adopts this view, says the best thing we can do is stop people coming. Don't let them come in the first place. Then no one will drown we have to help them on in, on the european side and then there's another group of christians that say no let them come we require to to show mercy and to welcome the the sojourner to welcome those that are homeless and we'll take care of them we'll do our best to take care of them and so there seems to be a great distance between those two those two uh, points of view uh So what I'm trying to say to you is that often tough answers in terms of political things are really about how we apply our biblical and ethical knowledge and principles to very complex circumstances in the world that make up every political decision. So I'm not here this morning to tell you what to think about all of these things. They're all very difficult and complex. But I am here to tell you this morning to cry out in your life. And to ask God for wisdom in terms of how you live. And that the Holy Spirit truly would inform every decision that you make. And at the same time, I'm asking you to recognize that you are not Solomon, and I am not Solomon, and you are not Jesus, who is perfect in every way, and I am not Jesus. And we live in the tension of those two things trying to hear the voice of God, the Holy Spirit, in power in our lives and apply that as best as we can into all of these situations that are incredibly complex. Right, that's the hole. Three problems. Now I hope to get us out of the hole a little bit with three, three things that I can think can be helpful to us in terms of how we learn to love people in the church that disagree with us politically. Well, on the one hand, we should all be united in the gospel. We should all be in, in, in united in, in our view saying that justice is incredibly important. And we all serve the same King, Jesus. Right? On the other hand, as I've said already, we might have different ideas on how best to serve Jesus. And we recognize that we are not yet perfect because He hasn't come back yet. So here are the three suggestions that I think can help us love people that differ from us. The first is very simple. One. Adjust your expectations. Adjust your expectations. What do I mean by that? Simply this. I've told you already, I've said to you, we live in this tension between the now and the not yet. And we have to admit that the gospel doesn't resolve. The good news, the message of Jesus does not resolve automatically all the political judgments that we have to make in the world. But what it does do, it helps us to love other people. The gospel helps us to love other people, especially those that differ from us. It helps us to bring unity out of very diverse communities. And one of the foundations of this church is that God called us to, to, to plant a church which would include every culture, every generation. And he gave us this picture out of Isaiah. That's why the church is called Forest Town church, because he said you in the same geography, there would be people, uh, and the, the idea was representations of trees that don't normally grow together in a given geography. I'm going to do that so people can can say, ah, the Lord of, of, of creation has done this amongst you. And so we've always wanted to include people from every background, every different uh, group that we can, because God enables us to love people from every community of the world. That's what the gospel does. So, Here's the irony. You still with me? Here's the irony. Even in a healthy church where the gospel is preached and the Holy Spirit is loved and people are welcomed, it's very unlikely that there's going to be a uniform political belief in any given local community. There's going to be some tension, and we have to recognize that. It's also a powerful witness to other people That people in a local congregation that differ politically can get on with each other and love each other. Come on, that's the power of the gospel. That we don't all have to be the same, and that God enables us to love each other. I always think of Jesus. You know, Jesus and his disciples. Maybe you don't know this, but he had a guy called Simon the Zealot. Do you know what the Zealots were? They were political agitators who wanted to be free of the rule of Rome, and so many of them went around killing people. He had one of those in his leadership team, all right? And then he had another guy called Matthew. Everyone heard of Matthew? Matthew was a tax collector. You know what tax collector did, what they did? On behalf of the Roman government, they got tax from people and gave it back to the government, the Romans that were impressing people. We have no reason to believe from the Scripture that Matthew changed his view of Rome or Simon the Zealot changed his view of Rome, and yet they were on the same leadership team that Jesus had, and he was discipling. Isn't that a thought? First of all, adjust your expectations. Secondly, recognize what a church is. What is a church? Jesus didn't birth his church to be a uniform collection of people or social class. He birthed this church and said, I'm going to save people out of every tribe, every people, every nation. I'm going to save them and bring them together. They can be a demonstration of what it means to know the love of God to the whole world. That's what the church is. And that means that we would have been enemies, you and I. But now we've learned to love each other, and to work together. And I could include in that, that Jesus helps political rivals love each other and work together. You know, why am I saying this? Why am I saying that we are are born enemies of each other? Well, because the Bible says, the Bible says that in Ephesians 2, verse 14, Paul says there's a dividing wall amongst people, and in his day it was between Jew and Gentile. And he calls it a dividing wall of hostility. People that just didn't see the world the same as each other. The the, uh, Jewish nations saw the world in one way, and Gentiles saw the world in another. And he goes on in verse 15 and says, Just as God made Jew and Gentile one new man through his work on the cross, that he also makes us all one. And so, just thinking a little bit about the baptisms, uh, Ephesians 4 says this, Make every effort to keep the unity of the faith through the bond of peace. There's one body, there's one spirit, just as we were called to one hope when you were called. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. There you have it. That's what the church is about. And so we're going to de- demonstrate this morning that as people have put their trust in Jesus, it doesn't matter who they are, what culture they come from, what background they come from, whether they're rich, poor, black, white, Chinese, doesn't matter. Whether they have lots of money, don't have lots of money, whether they, they are working class, upper class, doesn't matter. All are one in Christ, and we all go, go through the same baptism as we put one our f- complete trust in the same Lord Jesus, who saves every one of us from our sin and gives us a hope and the future. Come on. That is worth it. And to get back to our study, and I am landing, all right? I think I've done quite well. I've still got 10 minutes. I am landing here. What did 1 Peter 2 verse 9 say to us? You are a holy priesthood. You are a royal nation. Because of Jesus, there's an entire new race of human beings that are not, not united by their creed or their color. They are united by their faith in Jesus and what He's done for us by His blood. There's a new people that, exi- that are lit- on, on the planet right now. They're called the people of God. And that's what we get to be a part of as we put our trust in Jesus, And I just want to point you to, to, to this. There, there's no other thing like the church in the world. And there never has been. Every nation has been built or united around one of two things. Powerful men with swords obliterating other people. Or secondly, a bloodline that is ruled for centuries. If you are part of this bloodline, you get to rule. Well, what does the promise of the Bible say? There's now a whole new Family of people on the world in the world that are not united by a sword and by violence, and they're not united by a bloodline they 're united by something else, the Word of God and the power of the holy Spirit and we are a whole new group of people because of what Jesus has done for us and so i 'm saying to you that God has brought together a whole bunch of people that would be enemies of each other, and He saved them by His Son's blood, and He's put His Holy Spirit on them, and He's created them to be those that love peace and justice, and He's called them all together, and He said, keep the unity that I've given you. You are my people. You are a whole new nation. And actually, that should demonstrate kindness and love and peace and justice to everybody else. You should be different in the church. And so, what does that mean? I want to encourage you. That means the church is a place where enemies, there's this picture in Isaiah which says God comes and he helps beat our swords into plowshares. The church should be a place where when you walk through the door, you lay down your sword, your right, your opinion, to be right about everything, and you beat your sword into a plowshare. And you say, I'm going to be a person that brings peace to this community. That's what the church should be. It's where black, white, rich, poor, young, old, educated, English, Welsh, Scots, Irish, American, South African, Romanian, French, Nigerian, whatever your background is this morning. He brings us together and he says, you are my people and you are one. By the power of the Spirit, when you walk through the doors, you lay down your sword. And you choose to listen to other people. And you choose to listen to others and love them, when, even when they disagree with you. And so, <laughs> was that a bit intense? Okay, all right. So, <laughs> and i finish by saying this. On a Sunday, when you have coffee with people, you are going to meet someone that rattles on about their about their political hobby horse, about the thing that they've been talking about for the last couple of years and aligns themselves differently. You're going to hear that over and over. And I want to ask you that you can recognize that that's a good thing and that's a godly thing and it's there to help you so that you can change yourself. Doesn't mean you abandon your own opinion and you abandon your own perspective, but that you listen and you love And you take care to really try and understand what is motivating that person and why they are saying the things that they are saying. And you've probably heard this over and over. Every one of us is fighting a battle. Isn't that true? Every person in this room has got some challenge right now that you don't know about. And when you come into the church community, it's our obligation as followers of Jesus that listen to the voice of the Spirit to say, let me take some time to really understand what you're going through and what your problem is. And how can I help you? And how can I stand with you? How can I pray for you? How can I be your friend? Lay down your sword, make it a plowshare, and take up the law of love and listen to other people and love other people. Third, last, recognize what unites a church and what belongs in the domain of Christian freedom. And this is what I mean. I've tried to say to you that churches are not groups of political parties or people that see the world exactly in the same way. Well, what what unites us then? Well, can can people who disagree about paying taxes be in the same church? how much taxes we should pay can people who disagree over abortion be part of the same church can people who disagree about immigration or disagree about climate change or you add your own thing there etc 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 people that disagree about these things can they be part of the same church well i want to say to you just remember what i've said about the space between our theological convictions and how we apply those Another way of thinking about that is, is to say there are some things that are, are absolutely essential for the whole church to believe, and there's a whole bunch of other things that are a matter of your freedom to believe those things or not. Does that make sense? So what I'm asking all of us to do is that we unite around things that really are whole church history, issues. And here are some of those whole church, whole church issues. We are saved Not by our works, not by trying hard, not by our political uh, convictions. We are saved by grace, through faith, by the power of the Holy Spirit. We all agree on that. We all agree that Christians should be baptized. As a demonstration of what God has done on the inside, that they were dead and now they're alive. And they go underneath the water and it symbolizes they're coming up a whole new creation. We should all agree on that. We should all agree that we think repentance is a good thing. We should all agree that uh, we want to break bread together. These are whole church issues that we agree on, and that would include our um, our statement of faith, etc., etc., etc. But there's a whole bunch of other things that we cannot say. You must believe that to be a Christian, and we learn to must learn to distinguish between those things. I'm not talking about trying to be um, morally relative here, but I'm talking about those things are not a condition for your salvation, and there's a line. And some people, some of the issues fall both sides of the line. So, for example, I believe that um, uh, it, is, it is important to, to believe as a Christian that Jesus is fully God and fully man. I, I think that's a that is a that is a line that Jesus is Messiah. That is a line, absolutely. And we can't we can't um, fall. on on the other side of the the line but together as a church we decide well this issue x is not necessary for being a christian but this issue y is and that's exactly what i mean so that we can't force people as a matter of conscience to believe things that are not biblical and that's what the pharisees did isn't it They put a whole lot of stuff onto people that Jesus said, actually, this is not what God has for these people, but you're adding all these things and making them binding to people's conscience. And so we can't do that. So I'm I'm just aware I've gone too long. So let me me just try and land by saying this. The, The distinction between whole church issues and issues of Christian freedom, how does that help us to live well with each other? Well, here's the answer. Please keep that distinction in mind when you're thinking about political things. Because when you don't, you run the risk of tearing apart a friendship with someone, of tearing apart your small group, or even bringing division into the whole church. So what I'm talking about is we can, we can begin to divide ourselves from other people in the church With these little thoughts in our head, how can they be a Christian and think that? Or they must be immature, they must be thoughtless to think that. So whenever you are tempted to talk about a political thing with someone, I want to ask you to do this. Collect yourself, (laughs) calm yourself, ask the Holy Spirit for peace before you speak. And then think of this. Is this a whole church issue? Is this something that the whole church needs to believe? Do you really think that whoever preaches on a Sunday should get up and preach your perspective about something as the Christian position, what all Christians everywhere should believe? All right? Do you believe that? Your political opinion, we should, we should allow people to come into the church that hold that political opinion and excommunicate people out of the church that don't hold your political opinion or your issue or your way that you see X, Y, or Z. And you see, that's, that's the way that we have to learn to judge and learn to keep each other free. And of course, the vast majority of these issues and strategies are issues around Christian freedom and not issues around whole church issues. So when you speak to other people, please be sensitive, be kind, be full of care. And I wanna ask you this, whatever you do, whenever you speak to someone about any political issues, in your words, in your tone, in your body language, communicate this, you might disagree with me and we might not see eye to eye on this thing. But my fellowship with you and my friendship with you is not going to be jeopardized in any way because of this conversation that we're having right now. Why? Because we are brothers and sisters in Christ, bought with the blood of Jesus, called from every tribe and tongue and people of nation across the whole face of the planet, and we are being made one because of the precious blood of Jesus. And that is the most important thing. I could say more. I don't have time. But God bless you. I hope it's given you some encouragement and helped you to keep perspective. Can I just say my final comment? I love what Paul says to Timothy when he's coaching this young man. He says, you, Timothy, I want you to be different from everybody else. You, Timothy, keep your head in all situations. My friends, if there's any time for Christians right now to keep their heads, it's now. Keep your head. Don't fly off the handle. Think carefully. Measure your emotions. Be guarded so that you can be someone that brings life, not division. Someone who brings kindness, not judgment. Amen. God's called us to these things. Let me pray. Father, I want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you for every good thing you've blessed us with. Thank you, Lord, for the times that we're living right now. Thank you. It's a privilege to be alive right now, even though there's many things that are difficult. We thank you that we get to live in the 21st century where so many things are much easier than they've ever been before. And we just pray, Lord, for all of us in our lives, that you'd help us to keep our heads, that we'd hear the voice of your Spirit, that we wouldn't fly off the handle, especially with people in the church, that we'd learn to love and listen and be kind while we pursue justice for the world and justice and put things right that are obviously wrong. But we want to bless you and thank you that we don't do this alone, that we have the Holy Spirit, the paracletos, the one who's closer to us than a brother, is there to help and guide. Help us, Lord, to be wise. We need wisdom from heaven as we seek to live our lives. In Jesus' name, we pray. Everyone says, Amen.